Welcome to the U.S.-China Dialogue Podcast from Georgetown University. This podcast series explores diplomacy and dialogue between China and the United States during the four decades since normalization of relations in 1979. We'll hear from former ambassadors, cabinet secretaries, and White House advisors who will share how they shaped the course of the most complex relationship in international diplomacy today. I'm your host, James Green. Today on the podcast, we talk with Yang Guohua. At the heart of the Trump administration's trade case against China in 2018, which led to escalating tariffs in the billions, were allegations of forced technology transfer and theft of intellectual property. Almost since trade between the United States and China really took off in the 1990s, the issue of how to protect American trademarks, copyrights, and patents has been a core area of dispute. Here's United States Trade Representative Mickey Cantor in Beijing in April 1995, discussing a just-concluded deal to protect American IP to pave the way for China's entry into the World Trade Organization. In the new agreement on intellectual property, China accepted the obligations and responsibilities of a great trading nation. We are hopeful that China will decide to embrace WTO issues with the same seriousness of purpose that led to progress on intellectual property. Yang Guohua served in the Chinese Ministry of Commerce for nearly two decades as a trade lawyer on the other side of the negotiation table from Ambassador Cantor and his numerous successors through the years. Yang has been part of the development of China's growing body of law protecting intellectual property and eventually served at the Chinese Embassy in Washington as its first IP attaché. He has a unique vantage point on U.S. pressure over the years and legal changes in China that protect inventors, artists, and companies. But we begin our conversation with Yang Guohua's unusual decision to study the law in the 1980s, when very few Chinese citizens had the experience to fully digest the concept of protections and rights enshrined in law. Yang Guohua, thank you so much for taking time. So nice to see you in your office here at Tsinghua. Uh, University. Before getting to your time at the Ministry of Commerce, I wonder if you could just talk about your personal experience in studying the law and where you grew up and how you started studying the law. Uh, I, I graduated from uh, Peking University. I got my PhD degree back to the 1990, let me think about it, 1996, that is 24 uh, years ago. Mm-hmm. I, that is, uh, graduated from Peking University Law School, yeah. And was the law something you wanted to do, or was it something your family thought you should do? How did you pick that area yeah, of study? Yeah. Yes, I uh, grew up in the uh, northern part of Jiangsu, Liangang, and uh, law is, uh, of course, my, my parents uh, really wanted me to study law, and uh, I, I didn't study law when, when I was in my, uh, college, in, my, in my college. I studied English, and I became an English teacher, so after uh, a few years. And I then I went to Wuhan University to read my master's degree, and later on to Peking University to make my PhD degree. And I realized that uh, English and the law are two wings for a bird, mm-hmm. like me, right, to fly. Uh, so English, you are, because you need to be very international. international. And the law is a kind of major, uh, how to a profession, mm-hmm. professional uh, area you need to work. So so that's that's. Uh, my parents like that. I, I really enjoy that. Yeah. And so just in terms of thinking about the law and how different it is from maybe uh, Marxist theory or other elements of Chinese 
a political society. Was it difficult to start to study something that was kind of different from uh, maybe the way China was run in the 50s and 60s? Uh -huh. Yeah, I, when I, uh, when I uh, was trying to study law back to the 1980s, my colleagues, my friends always asked me the one question. Uh, is, is that kind of suffrage? Mm -hmm. do, you, do you suffer from study law? Because when you look at the reality, you do not have rule of law. But uh, you are studying law, you, are, you have idea, ideal uh, uh, understanding of the law. So I, my, my understanding was that, you know, you know, we do not have the reality of rule of law. That's why we want to study the law. That's, that's my understanding. At, uh, still at this moment, look, at, look around. It's not a world or society of rule of law. So uh, how did you go from Peking University to join the Ministry of Commerce in 1996? I was very lucky. I, uh, and uh, uh, the luck always com comes with me. I I applied for the the MoFTech mm -hmm. Ministry of Foreign Trade and Economic Cooperation MoFTech, and I was admitted uh, because one of the reasons was that not so many PhD students at that time, one or two from uh, Peking University Law School, so that's why I was uh, enrolled. Uh, in that year, uh, MoFCom admitted the one hundred uh, new uh, newer employees, one hundred, uh, only four uh, PhD students. So oh. that's that's mm -hmm. very rare. That's why I, I, I think I was admitted there. Yeah. I see. So at that time when you joined Treaty and Law, yes. which was the part of MoFCOM that deals with legal matters and yes. treaties, yeah. uh, was it a big department? Were there a lot of other lawyers there? Uh, very small. The, one of the smallest uh, departments in the over 20 or 30 departments in the MoFCOM, uh, MoFTech or MoFCOM, uh, about 30 people, about 30 people. So. But uh, this is another luck for me, second luck for me. First luck, I was in, in, admitted by the, the ministry. Second is to be to work in a, a really professional department, although it's a small one, without much, much power. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, it's a very specialized professional one. That, that uh, department determined my later on professional, professional life, uh, even now, right? So when you first started, what was your job in Treaty and Law at MoFCOM? Uh, I was, there was a, a division called the Foreign Trade Division, Foreign Trade Law Division. 1996 was the end of the, the first U.S.-China negotiations in IP, uh, IP negotiations. Uh, the U.S. side was Shalin uh, mm -hmm. Barsavsky. And was she and, the deputy USTR at the time? Or was uh, she yeah, the she, she was deputy, uh -huh. she was deputy, yeah. And uh, Mickey Kander, mm -hmm. am, am I right? Uh, yes. Uh, we was we, you know there was a threat of a retaliation between two sides, mm -hmm. and the Chinese side was a uh, uh, Madame Wu. Uh -huh. The other side is Mickey Kander. Yeah. yeah, and they threatened to impose the retaliation on the disputes on the, the so-called enforcement of the IP rights. So I joined uh, MoFCOM at the, that time. Wow. Uh, and what was the dispute over on IP? Was that it was not being enforced? Copyrights were not being enforced or trademarks? What was the main? Uh, copyright is the most important. Discs, mm -hmm. uh, pirated discs, underground uh, factories to produce the pirated discs. Uh, another reason I was admitted, uh, I was uh, invited to join the work before I uh, took the, the full-time job, was that I, I wrote my doctoral thesis uh, on the th Section 301 uh -huh. of the United States Trade Law. Uh, so this is the same Section 301 uh, of the U.S. Trade Act 
right now between mm-hmm. US and China. So I wrote my doctor thesis. So uh, at that time, uh, Mavcom said, okay, you, you have some knowledge on this issue, so come and work. You're very modest. Do you think anyone else at Mavcom knew what Section 301 of the Trade Act of 1974 I so. was? I don't think so. Back to 2018, I mean, a year before last, uh, when uh, Section 301 <laughs> showed up again, appeared again, people were at loss. And they was they search uh-huh. everything. They found ten years ago somebody wrote a book. Some guy named Yako <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. wrote a book. Yeah. Uh-huh. Even even two year two years ago, people do not understand, mm-hmm. do not know what what is section three one. And uh, one reason what one reason is a, is a section three one is a very specialized law. Another reason is that is that it's it's not used that much right. in the past twenty years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> And on the, you mentioned Wu Yi, who incredibly formidable Chinese um, leader who went on to be vice premier. Uh, do you think she took, or the Chinese side took something broader about, hey, we can deal with Charlene Barshevsky and the U.S. and we've developed this way of negotiating and sure it was on IP, which we don't need to address, but more broadly, this is this this will help us figure out how to push through the accession protocol and all the, the details of that. Uh, OE and uh, later on other uh, leaders from the state council or the ministers from the uh, from the Ministry of Commerce, they they seems to me have a kind of a consensus on IP issue, which is that uh, we need to make reform, we need to make progress. We have a lot of problems. For example, underground factories, that's a problem. Pirated CDs, pirated movies, a problem. Online piracy, it's a problem. You cannot. Uh, Ignore that. You cannot uh, deny on this kind of uh, serious issues. So this is a consensus. And uh, but the problem with the negotiations was that uh, for sometimes uh, the sometimes the, uh, the 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 demands requests or demands from the US side are are too much. What's uh, an example? Uh, example was that uh, in the JCCT or WTA session or this kind of they wanted China to do something to do many things at uh, one time. For example, in a, in a, in 1996 negotiations between US and China and IP, US side said that in the next three months, uh, six months, you need to do the, 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 the listed uh, 10 things to take enforcement. Mm-hmm. To Close these factories, um, yes, yes. prosecute these yes, individuals, yes, yes. put yeah. them in jail, yeah. that sort of thing. Why, what, uh, yeah. Although the, the Chinese side realized that uh, we need to make improvements, but uh, when we try to do everything, uh, Chinese author- authorities, central government authority, and the local government authorities need to think about uh, the, the, the the realities, the reactions, uh, even on the social stability, uh, even on the on the uh, economic uh, development. Uh, another uh, a perfect example was the. Shanzhai Shouji, mm-hmm. you know, back to the 2000, early 2000, there were a kind of a, a faked mobile phones, right, in Shenzhen. Now, I was told there are 200 million people are involved in this industry. So yes, it's, it's, it's wrong for them to do that, but could we do that in, next, in, a, in half a year? Mm-hmm. That, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. So this is, uh, this is what we disputed. We are not disputing about the facts, mm-hmm. about the necessity of doing this, mm-hmm. but how to do that. The policy pollution yeah, solutions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder if on the Chinese side, since you were trained in law and at the best one of the best universities in China, and most other Chinese officials don't have a legal background, 
Um, I should say by contrast, I'd say about half of the people at USTR are lawyers. Not, not all, but half or a little bit more. And I think our governance system is one that attracts a lot of lawyers. Traditionally, a lot of our modern presidents are lawyers and other officials are lawyers. And on the Chinese side, there's almost no lawyers. I remember when we started the BIT negotiations, uh, Li Chang'ang said to me, he said, oh, I'm the first lawyer that's led a negotiation. Uh, how was it just kind of internally? Uh, was, it, um, was it difficult to explain legal concepts or the idea of what the law should be? Or was that really um, a practical issue that you were working at it and talking about the law in a general sense wasn't wasn't a problem? Yeah, we, we were we were really amazed uh, at the reality in the United States that the uh, United States is ruled by lawyers, right? And uh, it's not uh, in China, not in other countries, even mm -hmm. in in Europe, and not in uh, Japan, right? All the more lawyers are involved in government government work. But uh, here, when we work with different agencies, lawyers uh, are. Uh, most of the time, uh, they are advisors. They are only uh, uh, counsels rather than the leading negotiators, as Li Chenggang said correctly that uh, uh, he was maybe the, the first lawyer. And he is still the first lawyer in a, as a lead, as a minister level official in the MOFCOM. He's the, the first, first one. He's the first one. Oh. He's an assistant, assistant minister, right? Oh, right, right now, right. he's the first one. So, uh, uh, but, but when we when we work at the working level with the different departments, I think uh, I, I fail to see many, many, many examples of the different way of approach on this uh, legal background, law or not law. But maybe one example was that uh, as lawyers, we, 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 we always try to find reasons, try to find reasons. Use logic to find Use reasons. Use logic uh -huh. with evidence. Mm -hmm rather than pol political slogans, right? Rather than uh, some something too broad, right? Mm -hmm. So this is a way of thinking. What do you think, uh, and uh, I, I'm, I've only spent many years studying Chinese and not so well, but much of the Chinese language, it seems to me, is very imprecise. Uh, and English, as you know, uh, it has a Latin background and, and German and, and a bunch of other uh, influences from Greek. And it can be very detailed and specific. Yeah. Uh, how do you see the Chinese language? Is that a uh, as being kind of less precise sometimes? Is that an accurate way to think about it, or do you think maybe that was true one time, but now there's enough Chinese words for things that it doesn't really the influence thinking? Uh, linguistic problem for Chinese is a is a long time uh, debate. Back to uh, 100 years ago, I was told I, I read a book. 100 years ago, there were some uh, scholars proposed to change to abandon the characters. Uh, mm -hmm. to use the pronunciations, those letters. Uh -huh. uh, the, one of the reasons was that, uh, as you said, less uh, precision uh, of the uh, expression. Maybe uh, for Chinese language, there is a benefit to describe some feeling. Feeling, mm -hmm. feeling the vague like poem. Mm -hmm. Poem is always <laughs> vague. Right. And, uh, and very good to have Chinese characters for those. Uh, yeah, mm -hmm. with that. And you see, uh, you see the shape. Mm -hmm. That is a good one. But for the precise thinking, legal reasoning, I think uh, I, I have to admit that there is a problem. I want to get to your time in Washington <laughs> as the as the uh, at the Chinese embassy. Could you just talk a little bit about how you ended up going to the Chinese embassy in Washington, and then when you got there, what your job was? Uh, that was back to the two thousand five, and uh, one day after the conclusion ceremony of the one of the JCCT meeting. The Joint Commission on Commerce and Trade. Joint Commission mm -hmm. on Commerce and Trade between 
U.S. and China, which is a long-time uh, mechanism for both sides have that have dialogues. End of uh, 2005, after the conclusion of the meeting, Jersey City meeting, uh, I was told that the U.S. side requested China to send somebody to the United States to help U.S. small and medium-sized companies on their IP issues protection in China. So this is a long sentence, right? So to, to, to make it in short, to send somebody uh, to the United States to help U.S. companies. So that, uh, then later on, a few months later, that was me. And later, and still later, I met the two people who proposed from the U.S. side on this uh, issue. That was uh, Charles Freeman, which you interviewed, and David Weller, who worked at the USDI at the mm. same time. They proposed to the Chinese side, and the Chinese side said, oh, oh this is a good idea. Why don't we do that? So that's that's. And so, did you get a call from the minister one day, or from the assistant minister, or the vice, vice minister, minister, vice minister? Yeah, who said, "Yang yeah. Guohua, we have a great <laughs> opportunity for you." Yeah, yeah, yeah. They have a selection process, and they think about somebody who can uh, who can be a. This is this is the first one, and the IP issue is a long time issue between us and China, for the past decade at a time. Right. So we need to find somebody a suitable person. Uh, so then. I was so fortunate and lucky to be to be selected at the end of that. Yeah. And so then you got to the U.S. in 2006. Is that uh, right? Uh, yeah, January the fourth, 2006. Oh. Exact time. Uh, and so your job was to interact with small and medium companies in the U.S. Yeah. as well as the rest of the Chinese embassy. Yes, yes. Describe how that was different or similar to your work at MOFCOM in the ministry at Treaty of Mall? Uh, very different. I wrote a book. I published another book. Uh, as I showed you, uh, the, I published two books when I was in the United States. One is uh, about, about my stories, life, politics, religion. Uh, this is the product of my culture shock. Another is my uh, more or less professional on IP protection. Uh, so as my job, I had so many meetings. Uh, I was uh, fully available to anybody, uh, I, I, I picked up a call uh, on a regular time. I met people from uh, Wisconsin with uh, many other um, areas. And I, at the same time, I communicated with my colleagues back home in Mofcom, in a trademarks office, patent office, copyright office, try to solve problems. I have some successful stories you wanted to hear. <laughs> uh, I, I definitely do. Before getting to the professional part, I just wonder at a personal <laughs> level, what was it like? You you grew up in China. You went to college in at Wuhan and here in, in Beijing, and then to move to the United States. What were your impressions like? I mean, you went at some point in the late '90s, and then you went to live there. What was it like to live there versus here in China? Uh, it's so different. As I said, as I, said I, I published a book called "A New Arabian Nights." That is one hundred one thousand and one nights. I almost spent one thousand and one nights in the United States. And uh, this is a culture shock, so different. As I said just now, I before I went to the United States uh, as a as IP attaché or IP ombudsman, uh, I I visited the United States many times, but I was still shocked. They are so different. In my book, I, I try to recognize, try to record my life, uh, my uh, 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 so look at the society, uh, even the holidays, politics, uh, presidential election, religion. All these kind of things shocked me. So, so this is uh, so different. I have so many stories on that. Yeah. You were working in the central government and in Washington. 
how did you find working with provincial or municipal governments on these issues? Um, were you seen as some uh, annoying Beijing bureaucrat telling them what to do? Or was there a genuine appreciation of, oh, this is the kind of international standard for what intellectual uh, property right protection well, should one be? Thing, one thing, once again, was the fake mobile phones mm -hmm. back in the early 2000. Two, and, uh, you know, as I said, it will become an industry for the fake mobile phones in the uh, Shenzhen area. Uh, around 200,000 people mm -hmm. were involved in the industry chains. So that's a problem not only for the local Shenzhen industry, Shenzhen company, Shenzhen government, but it is also a problem for central government. So this to is have so much fake production go on. Fake production mm -hmm. and uh, 200,000 200, people involved, got involved mm -hmm. in the industry. How could you solve the problem gradually mm -hmm. rather than all of a sudden in a few months? Mm -hmm. So that's, uh, I, I, frankly speaking, I have uh, sometimes I have uh, something, I have sympathy for the local government. They need uh, the boom of the, the development, mm -hmm. economic development. At the same time, protection of IP is a, is a, is a, is a necessity, uh, mostly from the central government. Mm -hmm. So I have sympathy for the right. <laughs> Although I know that it's it's fake, it's not always wrong. Fake uh, uh, goods are dangerous. So, but at some time we have reality to to to, to fake to, to face with. Hmm. That's it. I've heard some people argue on the Chinese side that there is not a historical appreciation for private property rights, and that IP is a kind of private property right. Uh, how do you think about the, that broader issue of what a private right is? And certainly in, in U.S. law, it's been there for, since the beginning of, of uh, our system. A little bit different in Chinese law. How, how do you think about kind of IP as a private right and something to be I protected? Think, I think this is a misconception, mis mistake for understand for saying that China uh, has a tradition, has a it's the current uh, culture. I think uh, to for for. To, to Chinese or culture, let, let's talk about culture, history, property protection uh, is, uh, I think it's, it's, it's also a very long history, mm -hmm. long tradition. I don't think IP protection would be a problem. To be uh, IP could be a problem in, in being recognized as a property. Only one problem was that enforcement. When it was enforced very strictly, very uh, hard. I think the this kind of idea could be established very quickly. And uh, one of the examples was that in recent years we see that uh, IP protection become a kind of incentive from the Chinese companies rather than from the U.S. companies. Right. So this is also com very common. Can you talk a little bit about that? That is, uh, I think filing for patents in China is now through the roof, uh, and most of the filers are Chinese companies filing. Yeah, yeah. Every company I met with in China has a kind of very, very strict sense of patent protection and a tr trademark registration. And they always say, okay, this is a kind of right benefit, right? We need to register, we need to spend money for the maintenance of the trademark, right? And also we spend money to apply for the patent to protect our invention. This is, a, this is a, there is no dispute. But the problem was that once it was, a, it was a pirated, it was a, uh, stilled, the patent was stilled. How about the enforcement? If the enforcement is efficient, and I think, I think that the, the whole environment would be increased. Yeah, that's 
I want to come. So you were in the U.S. for three years. Yeah, three years. And then you came back to Mofcom. And did you go directly to be the deputy director general yes. of the Treaty and Law yes. Office? Yes. So in that job, uh, the director general is the head of the Treaty and Law Office, and then there are two or three deputy director generals. Yes, two at a time. And you were one of those two. What was your job as the deputy director of the office? Yeah, I was. Uh, I you know deputy director general um, uh, sometimes uh, always have a, uh, have the responsibility of overseeing um, two or three divisions. One division I oversized was uh, overseeing was the IP division, uh, which was headed by Chen Fu Li, who succeeded me later on, right? And uh, another is the WTO law department. So I was working on the WTO dispute settlement. Uh, so and so that's for when there were cases between China and other WTO members that would end up in treaty and law in in, in that department in that in that division that, division. division of mm-hmm. WTO law. Mm-hmm. Uh, so 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 th- uh, after three years in the U.S. Chinese embassy in the United States, I came back as a, a little bit higher leader as the IP dialogue. So I ha- I was uh, leading. I was uh, as uh, how to say. Uh, Coordinator from for the Chinese side on the IP dialogue between U.S. and China. You know that at the time there were two dialogues, uh, one year. Uh, one is at the deputy director general, which was my level. Second is the minister, vice minister level. So we had two. So in your that was on the IP front. On the WTO litigation front, this was a period late uh, end of the Bush administration, yeah. beginning of the Obama administration. Exactly in which uh, I'd say for the first five years of China's entry into the WTO, maybe there was one or two cases, not not many, and then a couple of more at the end of the Bush administration. Um, When you were in in that job, uh, how did you all react or or deal with WTO litigation uh, when you found out either through Geneva at the WTO or through Washington or through here in Beijing? That the U.S. was going to bring a case against China. Uh, frankly speaking, our first case was a case United Force against the United States. United Force against mm-hmm. the United States. United Force of eight members of the WTO, including EU and the U.S. Steel Safeguard. Mm-hmm. That was back to, to early two thousand and two. So when this China, is the beginning of the Bush administration, yeah, in which China, steel safeguards were put yeah, in. steel safeguard. When China joined the WTO, China filed the case, first case against the United States. China was so lucky at the time, right? This is a very momentum. This is very important for China. You know, you know, China enjoyed the benefit of a complainant rather than a respondent, right? And, uh, but later on, frankly speaking, we were nervous at the very beginning that uh, we were, we were, we were uh, filed against, you know, we were, we were, we were, there were so many cases against China in the WTO. But later on, we realized from the cases that this is really a rational, better way to solve the U.S.-China relationship. I have very, I have uh, quite a few examples if you wanted to hear. And uh, later on, we, I myself agree with my counterpart at the time, Kim Straffer, mm-hmm. who is a lawyer right now in Beijing, uh, uh, that, that uh, this is a better way to solve the U.S.-China trade disputes. I mean, WTO is a better way. Mm-hmm. So we, we, later on, we will agree. So the first stage, then the first case, let's forget about the U.S. Mm-hmm. We were lucky. But uh, at the first stage, we were nervous. 
US, uh, China IP case was the example. You know, US and China was having negotiations on IP issues. At the time, same time, US brought the case against China in the WTO. And so on the Chinese side, sir, did you all feel that that was unfair? It's unfair. It's uh, Madame Wu Yi said at that time, she was a state counselor, said that she was very unhappy. She said, no, we are negotiations. We have negotiations. Why don't you file a case? So then if we have a case, we don't negotiate. So this is a, uh, this is a, we, we were nervous. But later on, we didn't see any problems for that. We were quite used to that. And uh, a perfect example was in the Obama administration that is called the U.S. tires on the transitional the 421 center. tires case. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yes, that, that is a very politically sensitive case. That was the first case using the transitional, transitional safeguard uh, measures in the China, China accession protocol. And uh, China, even the Chinese president, Hu Jintao, told Obama in a meeting saying that don't use the, 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 the clause, this is unfair. But Obama later on used that. So just think about uh, without WTO, how could we solve the problems? Then the retaliation, countermeasures, so we will, we will be having that. But uh, the moment US uh, take the uh, safeguard measures in uh, Chinese car tires, China filed the case to the WTO. And uh, both sides, I mean, US and Chinese president, ministers, just forget about this bill. Let's, they say, let's wait and see. And two or three years later, the case was this, uh, settled, decided, and people still forget about that uh, deliberately. They, they do not, yeah. It's not well, sensitive anymore. Yeah, it was a so way to, mm. yeah, it was a way to, just to follow up on what you were saying, it was a way to take out an irritant and put it in a somewhat neutral place to arbitrate on the merits yeah. and take it out of um, political conflict. Let's, let's, if I could, let's uh, assume that uh, uh, early 2018, when US, you use the section two, uh, three one again to say China has a, following three or four issues, and they will find a case in the WTO. I don't think that would lead the, the Section 301 negotiation, uh, uh, investigation would lead to the trade war. May not, may not be that, that we, with the WTO. WTO. I just wanted to, uh, speaking now not about WTO litigation, but your time at <laughs> Treaty and Law, if you could just talk a little bit about for the Joint Commission on Commerce and Trade and these very large ministerial meetings, what it was like on the Chinese side to organize or to kind of be part of it. On the US side, we had hundreds of officials and would try to tee up the issues that we thought we'd make progress on. Could you just describe on the Chinese side what it was like to uh, organize and to work in, in the bureaucracy? JCCT and SNED, I was a reformer. I always realized that the IP protection, security enforcement is a problem in China. That would hinder Chinese development, later on development, right? Because it discouraged the invention, innovation. Uh, so this, so, but when I try to uh, uh, try to work with my colleagues from other agencies, I, I will not give them names, but uh, they would always say we will protect our national interest. I said, what is a national interest? Is innovation and the further development is a national interest? So we have debates. Then come back to JCCD and NCD, it's a perfect opportunity from the outside of China to say, to give a very good uh, pressure, give a very good positive pressure for Chinese reformers rather than hardliners. Why? Because at the high level, when the US side from the other side of the table saying that China need to do this, to do that, 
And from the Chinese side, vice premier, they also need outcomes, positive <laughs> outcomes from the JCCT meeting. The number one issue they would find to have the outcome is IP. The reason was that this is something we want, really wanted to do, and we could not do without by ourselves. This is why uh, JCCT and SAD almost the number one outcome is IP. And in terms of numbers of outcomes. Yeah, number yeah. of outcomes mm -hmm. is number one, mm -hmm. lot of progresses. And uh, so to come back to your question, I think this is a very good one. And uh, let, let me compare with uh, the recent, nowadays pressure and the unilateral action tariff, tariffs against China on the IP issue. That's, uh, that's, uh, uh, less, that's not a positive pressure. That will be a good pressure. That's a good. That will be a good uh, initiative for the Chinese hardliners to take countermeasures to say no, we will not do that, because U.S. is not. Uh, they are not friendly. They are not. They they have a very bad faith. Mm -hmm. This is why I said the JCCT and SED are very productive and really positive, rather than the tariffs. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about. You mentioned that you left the government about five years ago. <laughs> And I think uh, you've had an incredible career and it's an interesting transition to academia. Can you talk a little bit about what it was like to come to Tsinghua and to <laughs> teach and uh, how it was different from your time in government? Once again, I was so lucky. As I said, I uh, was admitted to the uh, Ministry of Commerce 20 years ago. I was lucky. I was lucky to join the Department of Treaty Law to do some professional work as a lawyer, uh, IP on the WTO. W law. Then my third luck is the transition from a uh, uh, minister of commerce to a prestigious university like Tsinghua University Law School, uh, and I can teach my students on WTO cases, WTO law. At the same time, a U.S.-China relationship. So I have two courses. One is for the undergraduate students, that is uh, WTO cases, to teach them legal reasoning. Uh, that was uh, the from my experience in the. In the in the MOFCOM for WTO litigations, another is IP and also the U.S.-China relationship. Based on my experience in the United States, uh, working with the United States, I realized that uh, this once again this is a very great luck. I wanted to be a, a university professor. This is my dream. This was my dream twenty years ago actually. When I joined MOFCOM, I I I, I tried to see my diary at that time. I I had two choices at that time. Why is good to one university, but maybe not that as good as a uh, Tsinghua University. Another is good to Mofcom, but I I I, I was uh, uh, I went to Mofcom, but so twenty years ago, almost twenty years later, I, I joined this. This is my my dream. I achieved my dream. Right? So for students who are thinking about joining the Ministry of Commerce or Foreign Affairs or other parts of the Chinese government. Do you have, have advice for them for what they should or shouldn't do? Yeah, I was told that, that the public servants or Gong Wu Yuan examination is still very popular for my for students, even here in Tsinghua and Beida. I also teach in Beida. Uh, I always when they come approach me and ask my advice, I always discourage them. I say don't go to the uh, <laughs> government offices. They say, oh, you are a very good example. I wanted to be you 20 years later. I said, I was, I'm not a very good example because I was, a, I come along uh, the 20 years of the way because I have three lucks, mm -hmm. too many lucks. I was uh, helped by so many people. So I never, so please do not treat me as a good example, which means that uh, you may not 
uh, you may not be as lucky as I am I, I, in my 20 years. So, but this is a joke, but I, what I wanted to tell them, tell them was that, uh, you know, it's pretty hard. Uh, you know, it's, uh, you need to work hard and you need to, need to be, uh, need to be very professional as a lawyer, right? So you need to accumulate, right? You need to write books mm -hmm. like what I did. And so later on, you could, uh, could uh, get, get a lot of professional experience. So, so that, that, that's, that's something important. Work hard, something. Yeah. Now, one of the things <laughs> that strikes me as having dealt with Chinese officials over the years is the expectation of your leaders for the amount of work you have to do is oftentimes quite unreasonable by American <laughs> standards in that you all have to work extremely late and be kind of on call at any moment. Um, in our civil service system, there's a, a, a number of the civil servants who just, you know, after five o'clock, they go <laughs> home and that's it. They don't have to worry about it. But for the people I've dealt with in Mofcom and the foreign ministry, they're they're always on. They're always at the call of senior leaders. Uh -huh. And that's incredibly um, demanding for your uh -huh. personal time and uh -huh. for your personal life, uh -huh. uh, that level of commitment, uh -huh. particularly if you're working on something important like dealing uh -huh. with the United States. Uh -huh. that, that requires a lot of commitment. Okay. First, Yang, before we end, I, I wonder, you've spent uh, such a long career in government and now uh, back in academia. Uh, is there any lessons that you take away for how either the Chinese side should deal with the U.S. or how the two sides should deal together? Uh, if I could, I, I would say that uh, from the Chinese side, we, we need to understand the United States more. Uh, as I said, I before I went to the United States as an IP attaché. I have been working with the United States side for 10 years, from 1996 to 2005. But I was still shocked when I worked there for three years. I'm still shocked, kept shocked. You know, when I watch CNN, uh, see the news from the other side, which means that you need to understand how the United States is working. Why they, how did they grow up? I, my conclusion was that United States is so different from China, China, for anybody to grow up, for the political environment, for the government function, for the lawyers work, they are so different without the recognition of the your, your uh, counterparts. You cannot work well with anybody. So this is a, a lesson advice to my uh, Chinese side, Chinese colleagues for the for I don't know whether we have a I have a advice for the U.S. side. Right now, the, the Trump administration to me is very, is very unique, very special, too different from the previous Obama uh, Bush administration, and even at the working level officials, I think they are also different because of the lead, leaders are different. So I, I think they, uh, if I could say, the approach right now uh, on China. Uh, treat China as a rival and also use tariffs as a tools to achieve something is wrong to me. A JCCT dialogue, they are productive. This is a fact. And they are still they are still to be encouraged. And one more thing, if I could say to the US colleague colleagues was that uh, to integrate China into a world economy, like uh, integrate China in the WTO is more important, fundamental, and far reaching than the short-sighted so-called benefits. That's my advice. Yang Guohua, thank you so much for taking time and for all of your hard work on the Chinese side. I'm glad you get to enjoy your, your time out of government thinking and writing books. Uh, we, we look forward to 
seeing the next thing that you write. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yang Guohua speaking with me from Beijing. You've been listening to the U.S.-China Dialogue podcast from Georgetown University. I'm your host, James Green.